Howdy, y'all. Welcome into South of Scruffy Podcast. I'm Ben Fields. You found my podcast. First time here. First time caller. First time listener. Long time listener. Thanks for being here. It's always good to have some new faces around. Uh, I had the pleasure of speaking with James Clausen on the podcast. He came over for an interview uh, earlier this week. I was talking to my producer, Sam, and talking to a couple of other listeners for the show and a couple of the patrons uh, that support the podcast and help us kind of come up with the the focus of, of some of our guests and you know what the show wants to be and what the listeners want to hear. And a topic that kept coming up was this whole paradigm shift in college athletics with the name image likeness rules that have come out that allow college athletes to now profit off of their name, image, and likeness, which has been against NCAA rules before. But the Supreme Court ruled that it should be legal for these players to profit off of their name, image, and likeness, since the universities are obviously already doing that. So it's legal now, and it's a changing world for a college athlete. James's company, Spire Sports Group, is representing college athletes in that endeavor. Think of it as a marketing agent or think of it as a manager or an agent in the film and television business. If you're an actor, you need somebody to represent you who has your best interest in mind. And that's what Spire Sports Group does for their clients. And their clients are oftentimes college athletes. They do a lot of other things besides college athletes and NIL deals, but that was the focus of our conversation and it was extremely interesting and extremely fascinating. And I hope you guys enjoy our chat. James is a very kind man, and I really appreciate him coming by to do the pod. So I hope you guys enjoy it. Enjoy my chat with James Clausen. We're doing the podcast. Well, James, it's uh, it's good to meet you. Yeah, likewise. <laughs> Can you uh, explain a little bit about uh, your company, Spire, and... Uh, Know what it is? Explain it to the people somewhat. Yeah, so we're a, we're a sports management company. We uh, we represent athletes, we represent brands, and we've obviously recently gotten in really involved in the NIL space, name, image, and likeness, in terms of representing and, and finding monetary deals for college athletes. I remember the O'Bannon brothers from UCLA being big into the name image likeness thing and really pushing hard for it because, you know, these, these players are obviously making a ton of money for the university and there's this big philosophical conversation over is a scholarship enough for what these colleges are actually benefiting financially from these players' images. You had, you know, Johnny Manziel getting a bunch of trouble for selling jerseys and things like that and uh, trading on a brand that someone, is, that that uh, a college player, an amateur athlete has built and it obviously has value, but they're not able to, they're not able to capitalize on it. So how did this whole thing come about and when did it become okay to start compensating players for uh, financially benefiting from their name, image, and likeness. Yeah, so the O'Bannon case, what, 1994, around that? So that sort of started the debate. And so it took all the way to this past year, right, 2022, (laughs) and the Supreme Court ruling 9-0 in the Austin case that, you know, college athletes could earn monetary, monetary, you know, value for, for doing endorsement deals. So they they can profit off their name, image, and likeness just like any professional athlete can. Yeah. And so July 1, the NCAA put down an interim policy that said every school 
can every every athlete in Division One, Division Two, any any level of the NCAA can now profit off of their name, image, and likeness. And so we're a little over a year in, and um, I think probably got a long way to go. Uh, just in, in just how it will change, it's changed a lot in just a year. Um, but it's been an exciting time for college athletes, uh, some of whom, you know, will will have their their height, their peak of their their value is is in college. Yeah, it's not you know John Fulkerson's a great example. Sure. I mean he he got to you know use this for one year, but he'd been here for six. Mm-hmm. So you know that's a kid that you know. He's already overseas playing basketball. He's not probably going to the NBA anytime soon, but he's got a ton of value here because he's from from Tennessee. Fan favorite was on great teams. Yeah, so great example. That's a good example of uh, how someone can take their their earning potential in their college age and, and really capitalize on it. Uh, I think of like the Skylar McBees of the world who are like fan favorites in town are obviously never going to go to the, to the pros and do anything, but they do have a short time to earn a little bit of money and to capitalize on the fact that they actually are famous and, and may never be a professional athlete, but they do have some fame that they can trade on. And, and it makes a lot of sense for, for players to be able to um, take advantage of that. The other side of it, is they is that well? There's a lot of other sides of it, but I, I think the reason that uh, it's always kind of kind of fallen under amateurism and you, you shouldn't and can't pay these players is because um, is because education at university is very expensive and very valuable also, and there's a lot of there there's there's a good case to be made that that that's en- that that's enough for a player, um, but. I think when you see this disparity of how much universities are making and how much coaches are making off of these players and that the players really and uh, uh, the monetary value of an education is a lot less than that. Um, yeah, I think it finally it finally may be time to revisit that conversation. And like you said, there's a long way to go. Nick Saban is obviously upset about it. And, and uh, but what is his like, what is the gripe with, uh, that he had with, I, I guess, Texas A&M and, uh, and, and how do you think that will shape uh, people's perception of name image like the Steels? Well, you certainly got a lot of opinions and a lot of people are upset. A lot of people are happy. Um, you know, I think the scholarship has always been one component of it. And, you know, sure, they're, they're academic universities and, and first and foremost, you go there, you get an education and that's great. But let's not pretend that you know what's happening on these colleges, college campuses is not really a billion-dollar entertainment industry. It really I mean, is. I mean, there's a hundred thousand people that come to football games eight times a year. Yeah, just just right over the river here. And so, um, you know, I think it was it was it was time. It was due. It was it was heading in this direction anyway. And and so. I, I'm not ready to say this. These are this is professional sports, right. but it's certainly, you know, a semi-pro, and it's got elements of professional sports in a lot of ways. Um, I think, you know, I think there's a lot of people in college athletics, and rightfully so, that have been used to doing one thing for for a very long time. Um, there's been very little change in college athletics really since the the creation of the scholarship, mm. um, and so. 
you know, you, you have an industry that has has operated one way under a very set and strict set of rules for decades, and now in the last year, when you when you add in the transfer portal and you add in name, image, and likeness, you know, basically a year's worth of change for the for the last hundred years, right? It's a lot of change. Yeah. When you, I didn't think about pairing it with the transfer portal because it ultimately brings free agency into into college sports, and then you pair that with the ability to get paid. College looks a lot. College athletics looks a lot different now. Looks a lot more like professional sports now that now that you mention it. Yeah, if you take the if you if you take your blinders off and you don't think about, hey, this is this is our college team, and, and you just brought somebody in and said, hey, this is the model. This is what it, this is what it is. Most people will think it's professional sports. That's You're true. Right. So, something that I heard about that really kind of shook me a little bit was I think there was I think it was like a a junior a, a quarterback who was a junior in college, in high school and he had already committed to Ohio State I think it was and he had a a lot of NIL opportunity uh to and and I don't want to say it was it was guaranteed money but the article kind of read that way that he had uh he had a million dollars worth of NIL money waiting on him when he gets to Ohio State and is their quarterback um, so he, he chose not to participate in his senior year in high school because he didn't want to, uh, risk, you know, getting an injury and putting that earnings potential, uh, at risk. So that's just one of the implications that this is going to have in, in college athletics. Are there others that are kind of out there that you guys are trying to guard against? Well, you know, just like when... Just like when the first wave of players decided, hey, we're no, we're not going to play in, in the bowl game. Mm. We're going to set out our bowl game and we're going to prepare for the NFL draft. Right. That that really rubbed people the wrong way mm-hmm. at first, and now it's pretty pretty common. Sure. And so I think even in this regard, you'll you'll probably see maybe even more of of that example you mentioned. Sure. Um, I think. Um, I think just in terms of of guardrails, I mean, it would be great if 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 the NCAA, if 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 the conference, the conferences, individual conferences, um, did have a more structured set of rules, mm-hmm. right? I mean, more more about path to a better understanding of what actually is is allowed, what's going to be allowed, what's not going to be allowed. Um, but I, I mean, I think it's overall, it's a, it's a, it's a really positive thing. Right. I mean, the, the, the kids being able to do what they can do and and monetize their their brands. Yeah, the capitalist in me is like, man, if they can make money, they should be able to do it. And especially if universities have no problem, uh, and athletic departments have no problem capitalizing on the brands of some of these kids, why why shouldn't they be able to? Uh, is it somewhat though of a wild west right now uh, because of the lack of, uh, you know, the, the Supreme Court ruled this and it became legal. But like you said, the NCAA is going to have to kind of get a handle on this thing and figure it all out. And so what are companies, uh, what are companies like like Spire when you guys are, are trying to to uh, are, are trying to create a business that works in this space? I'm sure you're you're having to be very careful, but you're also having to you know, take all the opportunities that are out there. So 
what what uh, what are kind of the the pitfalls you think, or the things that are maybe legal now uh, within the confines of NIL rules that maybe need to be taken a look at? Yeah. There could be a potential, like you, you mentioned earlier, the, the transfer portal has become almost free agency a little bit. And so that combined with NIL at the exact same time kind of created a bonfire <laughs> kind yeah. of kind of effect. Um, that's the one area that I, th- I think, man, if they could put some – figure out how to put some structure around that, maybe mm. limit limit when, when, when kids can transfer, give them certain periods of time, but not have this wide open, you know, period where – you know, let's, let's just think about it from just in terms of the NFL. Think about if Tom Brady could become a free agent every single year mm-hmm. and what that would be like. And we, we can remember what when Peyton left the Colts and he was looking at what team to go to and what a circus that was. He was who's visiting different teams and, mm-hmm. and then ultimately picked the Broncos. But imagine you know, that that's what's happening in college athletics right now, where where a coach could literally have his entire roster. Leave, leave for another school. Leave. And you saw it with LSU when they lost their coaches. It's, 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 it was a different example. Yeah. But um, I think there's going to be more kids that test their test their marketability, and especially kids that are at smaller mm. schools that see more marketing opportunities at bigger schools. Yes. So what? So to, to kind of uh, explain the transfer portal, because it wasn't – I mean, it was – I don't know. It was pretty recently until I – fully understood and i may not still fully understand it but a player can now transfer without sitting out a year right right one time one time and then but if they tra- they can't just hop around it every year but they get a chance to go somewhere they else. get one chance and then if they graduate they could transfer again okay gotcha so you can so you can transfer twice you, so can you play could, for three teams okay in three years arguably yeah yeah uh and i assume that that rule came in place because of the volatility of head coaches and how willing and how a player like, uh, uh, let's use Tyler Bray as an example, committed to the university of Tennessee under lane for lane Kiffin enrolled early. So he could go ahead and start taking classes and start practicing, get on the practice field and lane Kiffin left. And Tyler Bray was stuck at Tennessee because he had enrolled in school already. Um, I, that to me, it seems like it could kind of be unfair to a player, especially when when a player is coming to play for a coach who's a guru, like Lane Kiffin, for instance. If you're a quarterback that comes to play for Lane Kiffin, and Lane Kiffin goes away, then you know the player is stuck playing for Derek Dooley, you know, and sure. he didn't sign up for that. Sure. The other argument is if if coaches can leave anytime they want to, right? Why can't players? Yeah. And then I think during COVID, the NCAA was very liberal in in, in letting kids move around right for yeah. a lot of different reasons and sure and that it, it just it, it never went back yeah it, it so uh it, there's a transfer portal in football it does it exist all across ncaa division one sports it does okay but but football and i, I guess basketball are, are going to be the ones where you see it most prevalent sure you see the most high profile but yeah. even even with tennessee baseball they've picked up a number of transfer kids in the last month yeah so yeah, the the uh, the Mike Honcho case is a great example of of NIL. There was something that that happened within the program in the middle of a season with a player who was already here. A brand gets built around that, and he was able to he was able to financially capitalize off that, wasn't he? Yeah, great story. Uh, so we were all our team was all watching the game, like like most Tennessee fans, right? And so the moment happened, 
and we're having we get this big group text and we're like man this is this is a great opportunity so we're we do a lot with bacon and company with nil apparel and so by the end of that game we had a design done <laughs> multiple designs done and by the next day by the next morning we had had approval from tennessee licensing to to print the shirt and by wow. noon by noon the next day so less than 24 less almost probably less than 12 hours after the game ended the shirts were on sale yeah and so he was able to capitalize on on tennessee winning saturday and then winning sunday and you know having won six in a row over old miss and then vanderbilt and so there's tons of momentum for baseball and that's and that shirt i think i mean i think at least maybe 7500 plus shirts wow sold so so uh, let's tell that story a little bit because people who may not have followed UT baseball this year uh, may not remember what happened, but or understand what happened with uh, I don't even know his first name. What's his his name is uh, escaping me. Uh, Tony Vitello. Yeah. Well, uh, no, no. The, the player. Uh, oh, uh, Jordan Beck. Yeah, Jordan Beck. So he gets he gets uh, he gets uh, a home run taken off the board. Yeah. Right. Illegal bat. Illegal bat, and it was a sticker issue. It, had, it, had, it was missing the sticker. Yeah, that it needed. And then what happened after that? And so I guess in the fifth inning, ESPN did an interview with Tony. Yeah. And, you know, he just made a joke, you know, referencing Talladega Nights about, you know, Jordan Beck's not a real person. He's not not even a student here. He's like a 35-year-old whatever, you know, named Mike Concho. And the legend, that's when the legend just started. And, you know. You know, I mean, we 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 did a number of things with Jordan, and we even got some baseball signed. You know, and having him sign just my concho. That's great on the baseballs. So, so that was you guys then that that did that did the nil deal with him. Yeah, awesome. It's so, are there other companies? I mean, local locally, other agencies, locally or or otherwise that have kind of been willing to get into this nil space, even though it's unknown, and kind of make it. A little bit of the focus or make it the focus of their company like you guys have you know i think you're you're seeing more and more brands and more and more companies get comfortable with it i think i think you know it, when july first hit you know the, the schools most schools around the country had about two weeks notice that this was going to happen mm. so very little lead time and very little planning that they could do and 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 even there's a lot of people we talk to still every day that don't even realize this is still legal. Right. And so there's an education process. So right. the the more we can educate people on what you can do, what you can't do, how it could benefit your company, um, you know, we're, we're all about having those kind of conversations. And, and you're seeing more national companies. If you look at the, like the Final Four, for example, this past year in men's and women's basketball, there were a number of national brands that did stuff, Buffalo Wild Wings, Orange Theory. And some different companies are starting to jump in on board. And I think it's more national companies start utilizing college athletes in their marketing campaigns. Mm. I think you'll see a trickle down effect to, from regional to local companies as well. So I, I always think about like, you know, Peyton Manning is a great example because, you know, he just is, he's a great spokesperson. He's great on camera. I've worked with him a number of times as, as on camera talent for, I've done commercials for Tenova uh, a, a couple others, I think, that Peyton Manning was involved in. And I got to tell you, he is one of the most prepared actors I've ever worked with as far as coming on set, knowing his lines, giving a one or two take delivery and, and having what you need out of him. I think it's he's he's an, he's a, 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 an individual whose time is important and he wants to uh, make it count and go do something else after that. So he's very prepared uh, with with uh, with being a spokesperson, being on camera, knowing his lines and all that. 
But what happens with these kids if they're not like if they're not someone who is a great spokesperson for your company? What other what other benefit can they bring to the table uh, with representing a company uh, that engages with them? Yeah, so we're we're aware that not every athlete could go do a twenty minute speech, right? Yeah, at a, at, a, at an event and, and really wow everybody, and or he it may take time for him to get there, right? We may start with a, a structured Q and A type session, or you know he may do autograph stuff with the kids, or he may do some interactive type type setup with you know whatever sport he plays. Mm. Um, social media promotion you know mm-hmm. there's a lot of value today with with an athlete's brand behind their social media and the number of followers and engagement levels that they've got so sure. there's a lot of ways that we can we can overcome if, if a player maybe is not comfortable speaking in front of a crowd yeah uh but you know i think depending on depending on you know where that athlete can go with his career you know we're always trying to work with them to help them prepare to, to be able to do that kind of stuff. So that's part of your job is, bit, yeah. is, is leveraging what this, whatever this player has that can be valuable to a brand using it best way you can in order to provide value to the brand who's engaged with them. Sure. Absolutely. Okay. Position they play, you know, touchdown passes they catch or throw, right. Yeah. Strikeouts, home runs. I mean, yeah. Three did, pointers. Right. So did, were you guys involved in the Elante Taylor, uh, uh, what was it? Was it cookies? Was yeah, it moonshine? We, we cookies? were not involved with that one, but we know okay. a lot about that deal. But the moonshine cookies, yeah. Okay, and then the other ones that I think about, you know, I think about the the Jordan Beck one. I think about, uh, I think about Alante Taylor, and then I think about uh, just John Fulkerson's partnership with with Pals, which was so perfect. You know, him being a Tri Cities kid and such a brand that. With you know partnering with a brand that is so Tri Cities, it doesn't get much more uh, kind of regional than a regional pairing than that. Did you guys do anything with that? We, we did not. Okay. Um, I think, um, but th- those are the those are great examples of of local companies, regional companies that it just makes sense for them to be involved, right? John right. was from from that part of the country. Pals is up there. He's grown up with Pals. Yeah, I mean, it just makes it makes all the sense in the world. So. We want to be able to to utilize those types of opportunities with other players, right? Um, you know, um, when they when they when they present themselves. Yeah. So one of the one of the things that as like I dig philosophically into what this means for college athletics, um, I think about the locker room and what what kind of disparity this has the potential to create. Uh, If my quarterback comes in and is making a million dollars, and I know he is, and I am a wide receiver that's not, you know, is there resentment there? Is there, uh, you know... Is there is there palm greasing? Is is, is the quarterback paying five thousand dollars a touchdown catch to his receivers? You know, like what are I'm just trying to think in the most expanded way I can about what the implications in the locker room will be. Yeah, I, I think there's going to be some probably, um, but let's not. You know, this is happening in the NFL right now, right? Mm-hmm. It's the haves and the have-nots. You know, Josh Allen, quarterback for the Buffalo Bills, makes forty million dollars a year. Yeah, and you know his center. Can make league minimum, which is somewhere around eight hundred thousand to a million, right? right? So there's there's the haves and the have-nots in the NFL, and I think um, you know with with 
with NIL currently in college, maybe there's not as much transparency, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in, in the NFL, everybody generally knows what everybody else makes. Right. Um, in college, that's probably not the case because um, most marketing deals, even in the NFL, you know, nobody probably knows what Aaron Rodgers makes from State Farm because that's not public information. is, And there's right. probably confidentiality clauses in those contracts anyway. Sure. Um, so I think, um, you know, and, and you've seen a lot around the country with quarterbacks who make a lot of money who are involving their offensive line in certain deals mm. um, or bringing the receivers into deals. So, and there's a number of, of team-wide deals that are that are taking place across the country. So okay. where, you know, um, the team can kind of pull together, you know, apparel's an easy one, jerseys, team right. team tie, t-shirts, concepts where, you know, everybody can, can profit off that stuff. So I think That's those- That's nice. Yeah, those are a, a couple- couple examples or a couple ways that you know you can kind of get past that and i think there will just be a natural couple years of all right you know maybe i just need to play better right or i need to be a better player Mm -hmm. and then there's some positions that are just are going to be harder right offensive linemen if you look at the nfl and how they pay players in terms of marketability it's the quarterbacks the wide receivers the the running backs um the people that that catch touchdown passes or, or throw them. Yeah. Um, the ones that go after the quarterback, defensive ends and cornerbacks yeah. who pick the pick the quarterback off. So um it, it's a it's an educational process with players in, in terms of showing them, you know, how this kind of works um at the professional level and how it can how it can relate to the collegiate level. Will players will college athletes come to you and say, hey, I I would like to find some NIL opportunities? Absolutely, all the time. Okay, so that's part of the that's part of the purview of of the job. Everybody wants to be involved. Everybody does. Everybody and, does. And you guys will have that conversation. Sure. Usually. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And that's the work is finding a good partnership with a brand or or what you can leverage to uh, provide that provide that players or, or put that player's value out there to to somebody who's willing to pay for it. Yeah. So how how uh, another thing that that I I think is kind of this fringe uh th- this fringe kind of marketplace is like fans like myself uh who want to uh get involved somehow uh for for whatever reason maybe it's just because I want to compensate a player who I really care about and like so um you know uh, what's to keep me from from putting together a small group of of investors uh that are that are my you know my best friends let's say we all put in five thousand dollars a piece there's five of us we've got twenty five thousand dollars now we are able to um go after a player that maybe you know let's let's say a a chase mcgrath a a kicker somebody on the team that is going to be on the field you know a lot and we do some kind of promotion for the podcast for instance every time you know he he makes a field goal we give away whatever um is there kind of this uh is is there this uh i guess space where private citizens are trying to private citizens and fans are trying to creep into the NIL space. Yeah, I think so, for sure. I mean, and how I, does that what are the mechanics of that? Look well, like? I mean, the example you gave is perfectly perfectly legal, perfectly fine to do, and I think there's probably some examples around the country of people already doing that. You know, we created a membership organization called the Volunteer Club, which allows fans to pay a certain amount of money per month and they get access. So we had an event this past Saturday night at Graduate Hotel and had, you know, 7 to 10 players there. So, opportunity to come meet the players, get autographs with the players, take pictures with the players, interact with other Vol fans, 
And so, you know, we're trying to bridge the gap between the fan and the player. And so mm. giving the fans what they want, which is access. Right. Um, so, you know, we, we host a number of virtual events as well. So, you know, one-on-one, you know, kind of, uh, you know, virtual Q&As with players, you know, so where we really get to know players on a more personal level. So, you know, what do they do outside of football? What are their likes? What are their passions? Where are they from? What are some things that, you know, you might not know about this player? Right. So we want to give the fans some inside access to these players on a level that's, you know, probably never been able to to have been done before, you know, prior to NIL. Right. And in return, we were able to compensate the players for doing it. Awesome. That that's that's an interesting concept. The volunteer club, huh? And then uh and then these these players are then able to uh, do appearances that the fans that are part of the volunteer club absolutely love. Yeah. That's super cool. So do you think there's going to be a blowback from fans who feel a sense of entitlement because they have financially put something forward towards a player to where, I mean, you know, there's still in college sports, there's always this feeling of amateurism of this kid is out there doing their best. Where in NFL, I mean, look at the Philadelphia Eagles. They'll, you know, <laughs> they'll boo, cuss, you right the boo you out of the stadium as a player. Do you, do you think that that if the players are if the fans are kind of financially tied to players at some point, it it could breed some kind of more or less amateur kind of uh, uh, interaction between the between the fans and the players, right? yeah, you do. You know, I, I do. I mean, I think uh, it's just—I think it's probably just natural, right? Yeah, it's probably going to happen. It may s- slowly happen, but <laughs> you know, if there's a perception that this pay- this player is making X amount of money or he's got all these deals, you know, JT Daniels at Georgia this past year, right? You know, he was hurt to start the year, but he had a number of deals, and he never got on the field, and he ultimately transferred, right? But mm. um, you know, I, I, I saw resentment on social media and on message boards among Georgia fans about, about that situation. Was it more uh, elevated than it usually would be for a player because, because of the money was involved? I think so. Really? I think that that was a big part of the discussion. And so, you know, NFL players are used to it. They probably expect it. (laughs) I think there's going to have to be a a process where, where these college kids, even though they're, they come in at 18 years old or 17 years old, they're going to have to grow up a lot faster. Hmm that maybe they otherwise would have mm-hmm. um, because, hey, you know, when you start doing deals, you know, when you start representing companies, you know, there's expectations behind that, right? Yeah. And so be a good ambassador. I mean, they certainly expect you to play well um, as well. So is there going to be like I think about the uh, like the new Keith Richardson, uh, Ed, Mike Edwards uh pilot arrest thing that happened under Lane Kiffin's watch when they were here. I mean, no longer is that going to possibly cost you a, uh, a, a spot on a team or a couple games or a suspension or whatever it is. Like now that could uh, behavioral uh, uh, stuff like that could actually cost you uh, endorsement losses. Right. Yeah. And I think that's <laughs> part of the growing up process, oh, man, you're going to have to understand that like, you know, in most contracts that are being done right now, you know, there's morality clauses. So if you do something like that, the company or the brand will have a right to terminate. Mm. And even like you've seen with in golf with Live, yeah, you know, as those guys have gone decided they're going to go play that that league or that turn that tour, some of their sponsors have not followed. 
they've, right. they've, they've terminated those agreements. Yep. So, um, absolutely. <laughs> and so I, you know, I, I think, I think since July one, there's not been one single Tennessee football player arrested or accused or, or any kind of charges brought against them. I think they're, I think Tennessee's done a great job of, of really educating them on, all right, you guys have the opportunity to make money now and do things, but there are consequences too. Sure. And I think players are understanding that. Well, I think it's very easy to uh, try to look at the NIL landscape and identify what the negatives are going to be. But it's a little bit harder, I think, to – you know that there's going to be positive things that happen, and maybe that's one of them. Is accountability from a player standpoint is now it's not just a, a game or two that you're going to – that you're going to miss out on if you have bad behavior, like you might lose the only, you know, money you had coming in because the sponsor doesn't want to, uh, doesn't want to be a part of whatever, you know, your traffic stop. They don't want to be, they don't want to be connected to your brand. So, you know, maybe there is some, some accountability and some things that some positive things that, that come out of it. Or what are some other, I mean, uh, obviously other than players getting uh, players being able to, fairly capitalize on a brand that they build for themselves what are some other positives that you see that may that that could come out of this that people may not necessarily see uh looking at it from a thirty thousand foot view yeah this is just one thing that we're that we're working on right now we're very close to launching this but we are creating a foundation it's called volunteer legacy and so we're going to partner with various nonprofits across our state in our community locally and, and we're going to put players in positions where they can positively influence communities. So Boys and Girls Club, Emerald Youth Foundation, there's probably a number of, of, of great causes in Memphis and Nashville and other small cities in between all across our state. So we want to take our, our, our athletes, football players and, and other athletes at Tennessee, and we want to take them across the state and put them in those local communities and let them interact with the kids and the youth in those areas. And, and, find things that those players are passionate about as well right and so then we partner with with charities that match that mm. and so you know we're inspiring youth we're we're helping youth we're 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 teaching life lessons we're you know demonstrating athletic you know type type of things as well um they're having fun together and i, I think that is something that can you know really bring bring a lot of a lot of things together Hmm. Um, you know, is how is how we have have viewed that, and we're really excited about that opportunity. Yeah, you always see uh, NFL players going and supporting different foundations, and I guess it happened. It's happened a little bit in in college in the past, but now you think it's going to proliferate and happen a little bit more because of foundations like the one you guys are creating. I think so. Yeah, that's great. And there's been a number of players that have have come have come to us and just said, "Hey, we want to go. Do, we want to go do stuff in the community. We hmm. don't we don't want to get paid for it. We just want to do it." Um, and so whether that's East Tennessee Children's Hospital or whatever it is. So I, I think there's a lot of good in players. And, and I think a lot of them, you know, have seen things as they've grown up or, or even experienced, you know, different kinds of hardships where there was somebody in their life that helped them. Mm. And they look at themselves now as having the opportunity to help somebody else. Right. right? And so I think there could be a lot of positives with that. Yeah. So are you guys working with any other universities other than Tennessee um, or any other 
any other players that uh, that attend any other or play for any other universities or are you just kind of staying locally right yeah now? we're right now we're we're here we're focused on tennessee okay. we have we have eight people on our team and i think all of us were born in, in the state of tennessee seven of us i think have degrees from tennessee nice. so we're we're tennessee people through and through um you know just with our our past experience and marketing players and, and players that have been at other sec schools there's been a, there's been some one-off stuff that we've done with some players at other places with some national brands gotcha um but really our focus is is at is at tennessee and working with the athletes here does does every town have a have a spire every college town have somebody who's trying to dig into the space as deeply as you guys are i think if they don't they're they're figuring it out pretty quickly <laughs> <laughs> Were you guys watching, watching and waiting for this to happen before you started to focus the company on it, or did, was the company even around before yeah, NIL? Yeah. yeah, the company we've uh, has been has been in existence for two plus years, and and really was created to to work with brands on on marketing initiatives, and then also represent professional golfers, which we still have one Scott Stallings who plays on the PGA Tour. Sure, and so it was really about growing that that division and so we were always watching it in aisle mm-hmm. and we followed it probably for the last two plus years and just as there's been little little things dropped in articles and and just keeping up with what's happening and following this this supreme court cases it made its way through you know different levels of the courts and so realizing that hey this is going to happen we don't know when we don't know if it's going to be six months a year two years three years but it's going to happen and so it opened up a whole new segment in our industry so now, you know, if there's, you know, 500 plus, you know, student athletes on a campus, I mean, those are potential clients. Right. Um, and so a lot of agencies <laughs> like ours looked at it and, and thought, oh, we're going to try to represent these players now and bridge the gap between their, their collegiate career and their professional career. Nice. Now, the, the relationship terminates once the, once, once the player finishes school. So they would have to rehire right. the, the agent at that point. But we knew it was going to be an opportunity, but we didn't understand or we didn't we didn't have it all mapped out right. to know exactly what we were going to do. But we knew there was opportunity here. Well, what a better way to mine clients than start a relationship with them when really when there's nobody else to engage with uh, that can that can represent you when you're a college college athlete, for instance. And then even though that relationship does have to terminate at the end of the college career, I mean, uh, there's a lot to be said with continuity and working with people that you trust and care about. Um, and so I'm sure that there's a big, there's going to be a lot of crossover or a lot of, uh, clients that you carry into their, their professional careers, huh? Yeah. So, so have you guys, uh, did you plan on, on representing any, uh, any professional athletes when you started the company or what you did? Yeah. yeah. Other so, than, so other than just golfers, though? other than just golf, we still had a lot of ties with, with working with NFL players on okay. the marketing side. Okay. And so there was still some, some relationships that we had there and, and that was going to be, you know, one, one area that we did focus on. Okay. Um, what, what do you mean on the marketing side? Do they have a different, like a different, is it a marketing agent, a sports agent or something like a different, different yeah, well, people? Well, we look at it as two different, as two different people. So what, they can be both. They can mm-hmm. be the same person. Yeah. But the agent is the one that probably most likely represent, uh, negotiates the player's contract sure. with the team. Sure. And then the marketing agent is the one that goes out and finds different opportunities with national brands, local brands, awesome. shoe companies. So companies. has that position been around for a while then? Has that, And so it's been common for, yeah. for a player to have kind of a bifurcated approach to their 
uh, representation. So uh, an agent will represent them maybe with their team to get their contract in place, but then they'll have another person. I think in the last five years, you've seen you've seen the players move toward picking more more of two different two different agents. It makes sense. It's two um, completely separate worlds. Yeah, right? yeah. You had a lot of a lot of times you had these full service agencies and they did everything in under one roof. Right. Um, and then as those agencies got a lot of players. Mm-hmm. Um, I think you saw a, a decline in the in the level of service that you got, mm, right? So yeah. players wanted more personalized attention. Gotcha. They wanted to know that hey, we're with a group that ha- doesn't represent a lot of players, mm-hmm. but we're getting a lot of attention, and I know that they're calling and they're trying to find opportunities for me. Yeah, that makes that makes really good sense. And and so you you kind of see this as. Um, starting with with college with college athletes, but probably expanding itself into not just and not just football and basketball, but but other sports as well. With a large profile, with a large portfolio or or group of of uh, of clients that are kind of all over the board in in college sports and professional sports. By the time it's all said and done, is that how you see it kind of happening? Yeah, I think so. I think we can get there with that. Awesome. You know, I don't think that's a you know right away kind of thing or. A year or two, but you know, as as some of these players, you know, get to campus, and, and let's say we wanted to s- decided, hey, look, this freshman looks pretty promising. Let's let's start doing some stuff with him, and we get to know him, and we get to know his family. Mm-hmm. Well, three years or four years later, when he's trying to make a, a a professional decision on who to potentially work with, you know, we've certainly been there, been gotcha. there for a long time. And so, if we wanted to do that, or we wanted to go in that direction, or try to work with that player, you know, you'd feel like. We, we would maybe have a good good opportunity there. So so, do you think that your services will creep into more than just marketing then in the future? Or you kind of can stick on just the just the marketing part. I, I think we're, we're we're marketing focused because that's where our certainly our background is. And that's right. where we know the most. But you know, there's a lot of life skills too, right? Sure. You know, we're trying to you know teach players how to manage schedules and you know help them find good people to help with money management or tax planning and a number of areas that are all really important as well. So, right. You know, that's, that's the one thing, man. Like I, I, nobody taught me how to do my taxes in high school or college. And it's like such an important life skill that somebody has got to teach you somewhere along the way. And if you have, um, you know, money coming in and response, financial responsibilities happening when you're an 18, 19 year old kid, you know, somebody's got to, got to help you. I guess there is a responsibility there for you guys. If you're going to bring uh, kind of prosperity, at least financially to, to the space, there's probably some responsibility as well to make sure that it's stewarded. Well, we, we feel a responsibility to at least, at least offer to help the player find somebody to do that. Gotcha. So we're having those discussions with the players and even players that we maybe don't represent, but just say, Hey, you know, if, any any player on campus can come to us, and we would help them find somebody to help with taxes mm. um, or financial planning of some kind. That's great. So, what do you think, um, or what maybe have been some of the things that have had to, as this kind of brave new world has happened with NIL? Um, what have been kind of the ways that you've had to engage with universities or with you know, uh, with lawyers maybe to kind of figure out what's legal and what's not, because I'm sure with it being brand new, 
you don't want to get a player in trouble. You don't want to get a university in trouble, cause some investigation that causes suspensions or whatever for the university. So how, how hard has it been and what have you had to do to kind of toe that line and figure out what in this new world is, is right and what is, is off limits? Yeah, no, no doubt. So we, we do have some great lawyers and we do talk to them a lot about, you know, just what we're doing and making sure that, you know, language and contracts is correct and it, it, it abides with the NCAA's interim policy and all that kind of stuff. And so we do have a, a good relationship with the University of Tennessee. We talk to them at least biweekly. Um, you know, we run scenarios by them all the time. You know, certainly the use of the use of their intellectual property is a, is a, is a really touchy topic. Mm. And so, you know, we're really careful, you know, uh, about helping, helping them and helping players navigate that correctly as well. Um, you know, so, you know, I think it's just, you know, pause before you do anything, right? Right. You know, so just just double check everything that you do and 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 make sure that you know, to the best that you can know, right? You know that we're we're operating in the in the uh, above board in the good area. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, I, there's lots of. I mean, not just in the whole in the whole marketplace of, of college athletics, but specifically at the university of Tennessee, it feels like there's a big paradigm shift right now. It feels like Danny White's vision for what the athletics program at the, at the university of Tennessee looks like is a lot different than the legacy uh, kind of brand that the university of Tennessee athletics department has been. It seems like he's really focusing on fan experience He's focusing on tradition a little bit, bringing the the Vols letters back to the to the stadium was really exciting. But he seems to be uh, kind of he seems to be a good a good person to kind of lead us through this this change in college athletics because he seems to want to be forward thinking himself and kind of not just stick with the way things have always been done, but let's explore these new avenues that are happening and let's, let's get on track. Let's make this more of an NFL experience. You know, <laughs> it seems like he's a good, a good guy to be around during this time. Yeah. I think two things, I think the, the two, the two things that for, for colleges, you know, athletic departments moving forward into the future fan experience and NIL. I think those are the two most important things. Mm. Um, you know, certainly you want to make sure that you have fans in your, in the, in the stands and the seats and they're engaged with, with the experience of, of what you do, right? The entertainment aspect of it. And then, you know, having a good, healthy NIL program is a great retention and, and, and kind of promotion of your program. And I think, you know, certainly Knoxville with the size that it is, the number of, of corporate, you know, companies that are located here, um, you know, really the, and you look across our state, you know, Tennessee's the main show, whether you go from Bristol to Memphis, Tennessee football is, is kind of the, the big deal. And if there was a company in Memphis that was going to do an NIL deal with some student athletes, I think they would look at, at, you know, at the university of Tennessee. Sure. Whereas if that same company was based in Birmingham, they might be split between Auburn and Alabama yeah. or in Texas, they have lots of choices. Yeah. So I think Tennessee's set up really well to be, to be a major player in this area. It really, the more we talk about it, the more it kind of does feel like uh, it, it's creeping into NFL pro sports kind of kind of world. I mean, when you talk about fan experience or serving beer at games now, you know, um, they, uh, they've opened that area outside of the stadium, fenced it in where there's, you know, it, it, it feels more like you're going to a professional sporting event now. And I'm so glad that we're kind of leaning into that. Um, you know, the, the whole fantasy sports thing, hopefully we'll, 
I don't know. There's too many college teams out there for fantasy sports to do for NCAA football, what it did to NFL football as far as as growing it so fast. So there are other ways that uh, there are other ways that that the sport is proliferating and keeping up and not just becoming this 120 year old or uh, more than that uh, uh kind of kind of sport that's just very steeped in tradition and 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 all that it does feel like it like nil is helping it move along and get to the get to the 21st century yeah and so like you know and same and same with the, the conference expansion i mean with yeah. the big 10 adding you know usc and ucla i think you're you're slowly starting to see the sport become more nationalized and i think that will that will be a trend that moves forward in the next the next eight years over this course of this decade where the NFL is a national sport mm-hmm. in a lot of areas, you know, college football is, is very, you know, regionalized. Yeah. And so I think, I think there'll be, there'll be more, more, there'll be more opportunities or the, I, th- I think that you'll see, you know, I don't know if it's going to be one big conference or one big league of just certain, certain teams, but it become more of a national sport. And so, you know, it wouldn't be uncommon for Tennessee to go play Oregon in week two and then Tennessee to play South Carolina in week yeah. three and then Tennessee play UCLA in week four. Yeah. I mean, and to hear you, this is the first time I've ever thought about it because I'm not, I've just griped because I'm like, I miss my, you know, 12 team SEC and like Texas isn't in the Southeast. Why are they at the Southeastern Conference? Uh, but, uh, why it seems like it is just going to become like four divisions, you know? Yeah, it, yeah. And there, I don't know if it's going to be divisions or conferences or however yeah. you end up doing it, but I think you'll start. I think you'll you'll see you'll see you'll see whoever those teams are going to be, and there's probably less than forty of them. I would I would guess, but you, you'll you'll see them play less of the the Tennessee Techs, yeah, the Western Kentuckys, and, and you'll play only see that you'll see them play each other. And because if you look at you know, TV ratings in the NFL in terms of the Super Bowl and the conference championships. I think 100 million people, you know, on average or something like that, watch the Super Bowl. Maybe 50 million watch the conference championship games in the NFL. Like 19 million watched Alabama and Georgia play the national championship game last year. A hmm. little bit, little bit different, huh? A little bit different. And yeah. so, how do you, how do you, how do you change that? You you make the sport more nationalized and you create more compelling matchups. And that and that increases TV, yeah. TV viewership across the country. So you think and that's, revenue? Yeah, that makes good sense. It's, so you you think it's a bit? Do you, I mean, is that the the push right now? You think is that what we're seeing slowly happen? Yeah, I think. I mean, if you're a if you're a lifelong Big Ten fan, or if you're a lifelong you know Southern Cal fan, you your goal with every year has been to get to the Rose Bowl. Yep, and play you know Pac Ten, Big Ten. And now you just brought two of the most pro, pro, high-profile Pac-12 teams, right? Yeah. Into your league. Yeah. And so I, you know, I, certainly no, no accident that the, the Los Angeles market is now in the Big Ten, even though it doesn't feel anything like the Big Ten. But I think we're going to have to kind of slowly, you know, wash our minds of those, of those, of those, of those alliances or, or those the way we think about conferences. Yeah. Uh, when when Missouri and Texas A and M came in, I started it didn't, to really didn't feel right. Did it? It didn't feel right yeah. at all. Um, and and I just had to. You're right. You you, you have to wash your mind of of that uh, 
things change. You know, you have to you you have to be able to let things go and to change to 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 change your expectations and understand that maybe maybe we'll we'll be net good in the long run. Well, we're, they're still going to have the T's on their helmets. Yeah, still going to wear orange. Still going to run through the T. Still going to play Rocky Top. And we're all going to get really excited when they score touchdowns and beat yeah. beat other teams. Yeah. And so I think it's just it may look it may look different, but I think we can still have the same enjoyment out of it that we've always had. I, I still want to see the, the one thing I, that I'm going to have a hard time go away is the Tennessee Alabama rivalry. If that happens, even though we haven't, we haven't beat them. And uh, I think it's uh, 74 years at last <laughs> and counting at last count. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I'm going to be sad to see that go away. And, and, and I always wish that we could some somehow bring back what you heard about in the past with the orange jerseys versus the crimson jerseys. Did you hear? Yeah. Have you heard about yeah, that? Yeah. That's sort of been debated, right. Or yeah. been talked about for, a long time, yeah. And the SEC, I don't know if any any either school has requested it, but the yeah. SEC's always denied it. Really, I think I don't yeah. know. Yeah, and and I think that no no team wants to give up wearing their home colors or give the advantage to a team wearing their home colors away or something like that. Yeah. It seems seems weird. Well, I, this has been super compelling and super uh, really cured a lot of my curiosity about this brave new world out there. Um, the the one the one thing that kind of made big waves was the um was the was the Nick Saban and um and and Jimbo Fisher thing he said you know of course Texas A&M had a great recruiting class they bought all of you know all of their players we didn't we didn't buy a single one and if there's anybody in the in the league who doesn't have to uh, who who probably will never have to do that it's it's Nick Saban, but what was he? What was he uh, alluding to, or what? What was he saying that these players already had deals in place before they came to the school? Yeah, probably potential inducements, right? Which is what's of, that mean? Which is one of the the one of the few NCAA rules around NIL, but you cannot induce a player to come to a school. Okay, and so you cannot promise that a marketing deal will be will be in existence when that player gets to that school. Okay. But you can show, you can show, you know, you can sh- certainly show prospective student athletes. Hey, here's what the wide receiver on the current team; these are his deals, mm. or this is what the average of the team makes um, through their marketing deals. So you can you can certainly point to facts, factual gotcha. things. You can certainly point to John Fulkerson with Pals. Mm-hmm. That's a legitimate factual deal, right? You can't yep. dispute that. So you know. But but his 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 gripe was that that this is uh, being taken a little too far then, and that there is inducement that that uh, the that Texas A and M has engaged in. That's at least what what he's saying. Yeah, he alluded he's, to that, and then he walked it back. And and I think I think you know if you look at the playoffs, you know since the since you know since the since they formed the playoffs in the last what ten ten or so years, it, it's really been the, the same teams. Right, yeah. the Alabamas, the Clemsons, the Ohio States, Notre Dame's. I mean, so yeah, it's less than and, uh, fewer than ten teams have played in the championship. I think right? NIL is going to create a lot more parity. Good. I think you're going to see a lot of a lot of schools, and there's a lot of unique markets out there. You know, this could make help Nebraska get back to be good again. Right. You know, because it's the only show in town. Right. Yeah. And so, you know, I think it will. I think it will help with parity in college football, and I think that's what probably, you know, Coach Saban. You know, may have the biggest, the biggest heart, <laughs> the biggest 
know, the hardest, hardest time, time getting it. over because he's been able to dominate. Yeah. And why wouldn't you want to hold on to that? Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I get it. He's, he's, he's watching his back a little bit. I think bit he right just now. feels threatened. You think so? I think so a little bit. Yeah. He's losing an edge ultimately. Yeah. That makes a lot of good, that makes a lot of good sense. I, I mean, I, I, of course that's, I, you don't think of him having a chip on his shoulder when you think of him because he's the best, maybe the best there's ever been. But then when you see him, you know, maybe slipping a little bit and then you see that, uh, he, I guess, morally re- refuses to get on board with a with a new thing that's happening. Uh, he is maybe losing an advantage, and and we'll see we'll see how it plays out for him. <laughs> yeah, I, th- I think he'll be fine. I mean, he, you know, he. If you think about, if you look at, remember his early some of his early national championship teams. I mean, it felt like they couldn't even throw a pass, mm-hmm. and you they know, didn't need and, to. And they've had, you know, now they've had a run of of quarterbacks that have and made they just throw it all all over the place, and mm-hmm. so he's. He's continuously evolved, and I think he'll he'll do so probably in this area. Yeah, you think so? Yeah, I, I would not set your expectations to think he will not. <laughs> You'll be probably be disappointed. Well, have we, he retires first. Yeah, I'm I'm really ready for him to retire. Sure. <laughs> have we uh, have we missed any big big points, big swaths, or things that uh that that you can think of? Any blind spots we missed out on? I don't think so. I mean, you know, just learning every day. You know, being. You know, adjusting, um, not getting too comfortable with you know any certain strategy or path that we're on, and being able to to, to change directions really quickly is really important for us right now. Well, good. I think that this this conversation it, it certainly helped me understand what the landscape looks like, and also what um, you know a, a company like yours who who is kind of necessary in this in this new space. There have there have to be spires for this whole thing to work in in a in a way that's safe for the players. So uh, this has been a good this has been a good way for to to help me understand, bring me up to speed on on what that is. So thanks for thanks a lot for doing it, and I'm very glad that we uh, glad that we got to do this. Absolutely, thank you. We'll see you soon. Brave new world, baby. I love it. Hope you guys enjoyed my chat with James. Thank you guys for being here. If you want to engage with the podcast in any way, we're on all the social media channels, Instagram, Twitter, kind of. And uh, you can send us an email, southofscruffy at gmail.com. And uh, check out our Patreon if you want to. That's just a way to support the podcast. And we put out some content for that crowd every now and then uh, for them to get kind of access to the podcast and all that. So thanks for being here. Take care of each other. Take care of yourselves. We'll see you real soon. Pitchwire, play me out.